Today's reading is Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 16. Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. This is the word of the Lord, please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead p- pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's uh, good to be back with you all this, this week. Um, Stephen did a great job uh, um, preaching last week, and uh, as we continue on in the book of Acts. Um, just a heads up, um, if you're new or you've never heard me um, preach before, I have a stutter. Um, so there it is. It's an example for you. And uh, yeah, it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And uh, this morning, the um, even perhaps even more so for some r- reason, um, maybe it's the sun, I don't know. This morning at Starbucks, the um, worker even could not get my name. You know, they asked, what's your name? And I was like, Dave. And they're like, save. And I, I probably didn't say it as clearly as that. But I finally was like, did I stutter? Um, and we... <laughs> But anyway, welcome, little insight into my world. Sometimes I don't handle it as well, and I know, so I've had to show my driver's license to people. Um, like, here it is. Um, I should just start making up names, one that's easier to say. I'm going to start doing that. Moses, right? Told you guys. There it is. <laughs> Moses. Um, anyway, uh, let's get into our time together in God's Word. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts. As I said, that's where we've been for this whole year and where we will can continue to be in, uh, in, in God's Word, kind of coming under, being shaped and informed and transformed by uh, what God is doing and what He's saying and, and how He's revealing His character and His power through the book of Acts. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, I, I want to make sure that you do so you can follow along uh, and see again that this is God's Word and not just me up here trying to make jokes. Um, so uh, if you would hold your hand up high and keep it up if you need a Bible. Bible. Again, want to make sure you have a Bible to follow along with and read along with. También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 13. Um, we're in, uh, again, uh, chapter 13 of Acts. And so just a, a, a heads up as we go through Acts, um, is, uh, Acts 13, uh, verses 13 through 52 this morning. What we'll be seeing is that, um, that uh, Jesus fulfills, and then Jesus sets free, and Jesus divides. Okay, so that's where we'll be seeing even some of those words probably bring 
uh, certain things to mind, and so we need to press in and see how those are true of what Jesus does in his ministry, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, rule, reign, uh, ascension, authority, and the sending of his Holy Spirit, how these things are true, and then again, Jesus, um, Jesus fulfills and sets free and divides. And so that's where we'll be this morning. And, um, you know, I'm just glad to, 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 uh, to be here. I want to pray together. Um, we just got to share about what God's doing and how we get to be sent out to Guatemala, which I think is really significant and fun for us as a young church to, to be getting to participate in God's work throughout the world. And uh, we, we even had a membership class um, all day Yesterday, it was actually from uh, 9 to 2, but felt like all day. Amen, some of you who were there. But it was really good, really good time together. So who says that the summers are slow in Tucson? We get a lot of fun things going on. And uh, again, as we spend our time in Acts, as I want to pray, let's just, again, I think there's a significance that seeing God's work on a global scale and the person and work and authority and ministry of Jesus and how uh, significant that is, and how we get to participate and even be recipients of that good news. And so let's pray that God would open our eyes and our hearts to uh, respond in faith to the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning that we get to be together. Thank you that there's air conditioning. Thus far, uh, we have not experienced a, a morning without it here, and we have every other summer, and so we pray that would continue, and we also just thank you for it, Lord, that we wouldn't take that for granted, even as some of us will be about 10 days in Guatemala without it. Um, we, uh, we, we don't want to take anything for granted, and so I pray that through the person and work of the Holy Spirit sent by you, Lord Jesus, to empower us, to engage us, to soften our hearts, to open our eyes. Lord, to enable us to respond in faith and in trust and in hope in you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, we're just going to pick right up here and walk through kind of how we do this. Again, if you're new, how, how this works is we'll just walk through. And um, in some cases, especially on a section like we have here this morning, we'll cover bigger chunks all together, but we'll just kind of walk through it um, together and, and again, see the acts, the works of God on display together. So picking up in verse 13 as we see that Jesus fulfills. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. So um, just for those of us that really are tracking with the history of this, which I would encourage us all to do, some are more like, you know, history nerds than others and are like really engaged right now. And you actually read the maps in the back, back of your Bible, um, you know, they're right here. Some of, you, some of them have them and not. Um, and you kind of track where we're at. So we talked a couple weeks ago about Antioch and the significance. It's a world city. Well, this is a different at Antioch. Okay, I know, kind of confusing, right? Any people from Texas know Texas has every city in the world. They just hijack it and just have. So there's like a Paris, Texas, you know, London, Texas. There's all every city in Texas. Well, similarly, um, there are cities in in this in in the world uh, of that day in the first century that have similar names. And so, just so we can track here where we're going. 
is that Antioch in Syria is where they had been, and that's where, you know, we saw significant things, even what we saw happening last week, and we talked about Antioch in Syria, in modern-day Syria, this significant world city, and now they're in Antioch that is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It's about 100 um, miles inland, and it's referred to sometimes as Antioch by the lakes. L words are always hard for me. Uh, by the lakes. There it is. I just got to ramp up. Um, so there are lakes there that people would, would, so people would be hearing this and usually just kind of helpful for us to see is that they didn't just read through like we're doing over the course of a whole year, right? They would be hearing usually in one sitting. Most people didn't have their own copy of God's word. In fact, the vast majority of people didn't, and they didn't like wake up and have an app where they read through, you know, a book or a chapter at a time and work their way for a year. That's great. That's what we do. It's good, you know, spend time in God's word. But just so we understand how they would be hearing and responding to God's word, they would be hearing it usually read all in one sitting. So they would be tracking with this stuff. And just this is, again, important, maybe kind of nerdy, exciting for me, at least I get into this kind of thing, but also really important for us to understand where they are going right now, where, 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 where everything we're about to read is taking place, because it's in the region of Galatia. So some of you know that there's a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, will write to the Galatians, the church at Galatia. And that's where they are right now. So this Antioch of Pisidia is in the region of Galatia. And some of the themes that come up in the whole book or the whole letter to the Galatians that are really significant and important, uh, even for our day, significantly, of understanding the relationship between works and faith and understanding God's love and his grace and understanding what it means to believe or to reject. And so these, these different themes that really show up in Galatians also show up in our time right now as that's what Paul is preaching in this, in this church, okay? So that's significant for us to understand just to kind of set the, the tone for where we are and what we're hearing as we get into this and how we understand, again, the, the, the fulfilling and freeing and even dividing ministry of Jesus. And so as we continue on here, he, um, we uh, pick up with me in the second part of verse 14 is uh, right here. So they were in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand and said, and so he kind of invited, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So just kind of from the start, he's talking to a Jewish, like a religious Jewish context, and also a Gentile context who is getting excited about or engaging in the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and this was new for them. So he says, right, he goes to the synagogue, and then he stands up and starts to preach. And the author of this, Luke, puts that in there because it's significant to connect the dots with Jesus, because remember, a common theme, and we'll see this more and more played out, is that what seems really, really new to these people is actually really, really old. 
Okay, even in our day, we hear the gospel, we talk about, you know, the church in America, evangelical Christianity, and we assume, like, you know, that it began in, you know, the mid-1700s, right, when, when you know, people, when, when America started and all these things, and that's so wrong and so false. In fact, we even looked at this a couple of weeks ago, that it began in where right now people would not consider to be Christian area, right? modern day Syria and Lebanon and then Israel and Turkey and these places is where the, the birthplace of, of the church, of Christianity, of following Jesus, and then it went from there to the ends of the earth, even to crazy old Tucson, right? Thousands of years later. And so uh, this is a common theme even when Stephen was judged and then put to death and then when Peter was put on trial, the language is used to to connect the dots. Oh, Jesus's ministry looked like that. Jesus was tried like that. Jesus was accused of these same things. And in this case, when Jesus went to a new town, he went first to the synagogues, the place where the Jewish people, the, the, the people that God had called and set apart to be a light to the nations, not to be just a special people that he just kind of took care of over here, but that he had a mission to fill his good news throughout the entire world and that he called and identified his specific people, Israel, the Jewish people, to be that conduit of his mission, of his grace. And so similarly, Paul, like Jesus, goes first to the synagogues, okay? Are you tracking with me in this? And it's significant, again, because, I mean, how many of us in our everyday reading think of that? Think of the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And then now in our day, in 2017, continuing Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises from the very beginning, from the very beginning of time, even from Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel, the first mention of the good news Jesus fulfills and how that informs now our trusting in God honoring his promises. In fact, author and pastor John Piper uh, says this. There's a, uh, a helpful qu quote that I think kind of um, sets this into motion for us to understand. Here's what he says. To understand who Jesus Christ really is, we need to remember that he is not like a rabbit out of the hat with no warning. He didn't just pop up in history with no meaning. Instead, he is like a treasure chest of gold at the end of a centuries-long treasure hunt with lots and lots of clues along the way. So again, that's what's going on here, and that's what these people, these initial recipients of the gospel here in this city, in modern-day Turkey, would be hearing these things and would be thinking, ah, like, unlike us, new wasn't good, right? Like, new's not like, you know, oh, it's new, I, I, gotta, I gotta be on the cutting edge. They didn't trust stuff that was new, and perhaps that's true for some of us as well here today, right? It had to be old and proven, right? It had to be fulfilling something. And so there's an intentionality here to show, no, 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 this isn't new, this isn't cutting edge, this isn't third wave. I don't know what fourth wave coffee's gonna look like, right? Like, yeah, first wave, second wave, third wave. I don't know what's coming. You guys, some of you guys in here already know what it is, so enlighten the rest of us, right? And we're always looking what's new, what's new, what's new. Well, no, this is showing, listen, this is, this is old school, okay? This is OG, this is from the very beginning. God had had a plan, and he made it abundantly clear, and he set clues throughout the entire time. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. God made promises. God is trustworthy. God's character. God is acting, right? The acts here. The acts of God. 
And you can connect those dots and you can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. Some have even said this, that every, every question finds its yes in Jesus. And, and that's so true throughout the scriptures. And so you, you see that here as you walk through. Jesus fulfills. Okay, so not just in the trite, like, ah, I need to be fulfilled. I'm kind of wondering how, what my fulfillment is and more on an individual, personal level, though that's true. But, okay, hear me, look at me. Is that not less profound if it's just individual and personal. But if you see that Jesus fulfills not only on an individual level, but because he fulfills thousands of years of promises of almighty God, finding their yes, finding their meaning in the work, the person and work, the life, death on a cross and victorious resurrection from the grave of Jesus. And that now, 2,000 years ago, informs us today that God fulfills his promises in and through Jesus. Amen? And Jesus also sets free. So what happened here, and as I said, I would kind of skip ahead because we're covering such huge chunks, is in that section there, verses 17 through 25, I'm not going to read all of it right now, or in fact, actually any of it, um, but you can see there that what he does is he walks through the fulfillment that Jesus is of all of God's promises. Okay. He walks through and he says, men of Israel, you who fear God. And he goes on and he says, and he walks them through the story they already know. All right. Abraham, Moses, which especially Stephen, again, you would have just heard this like five minutes ago if someone was reciting this, right? So he's, you hear this connected of the whole story of God, all the, all the people, Noah, Abraham, all, all these things, the, the fulfillment of God. And then now he specifically here in this case connects the dots to David, the greatest king at the time that they had ever known in Israel. Of course, there's a new king, Jesus, right? There's a new sheriff in town, right? Not LeBron. Um, some of you guys who follow sports, I don't know. Man, I'm all alone here. Too many hipsters. Guys, ESPN, go there, learn. Um, no, it's cool. You don't have to. Um, it's my deal. It's my issues. But he made a quote. There's a new sheriff in town. That's what I'm saying, man. Um, anyway, buzzkill. Anyway, so Jesus, thank you. I know I got some people here standing in solidarity uh, with me in this. So Jesus is, the, the main point here is, no, there's a, a newer, truer, better king than even David. And so he connects the dots there in this whole section of showing the promises made to David are fulfilled in the kingdom of Jesus, in the rule and reign of Jesus, in the throne of Jesus. And then picking up here in verse 26 now, he, he switches gears and he connects the dots Everything I've just said about the fulfillment of God's story is leading up to Jesus. And now he walks through the implications of that. Like many of us probably here today, we hear this stuff and we tend to process it like a history lesson, right? Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, I like seeing how, you know, the fulfillment of all these prophecies come and stuff. But what does it mean for you and for me and for us? What are the real-life implications? Because they're there. Let me tell you, it's not ever just something out there that's interesting in the books. God is on the move. God is working. God is present. God is among us. Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus. He has is, he is come present. He is incarnated, taken on flesh. Concarne is really the, the idea that comes to, to mind here. So he's with us. So we've got to deal with him. 
And that's what Paul now does in verse 26. He says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. And he's right, he's repeating that. And he says brothers because he wants to remind the people, similarly to what we need to be reminded of. He's about to bring some really, really, really good news, but he's about to bring some really hard stuff too. Okay, they're, they're, he's about to bring us to a point of, of what are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to respond? And so even this use of the word brothers is reminding, listen, I know I'm saying some hard things right now, and I pray that that is always our posture here as well, that, 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 that we're told that the, that the cross of Jesus will be a stumbling block, foolish to some and offensive to others. And so that's true, and yet even here you see even Paul, who's a fiery person, probably short too, okay, so I get it, got a little Napoleon complex as well, and he's fiery, but even still he wants to remind, listen, I'm for you. Uh, uh, I too am a, am, a, am, a, am a child of Abraham, okay, he's Jewish as well, and he's reminding them, I'm about to say some hard things right now, but I want to remind you um, that, that I'm with you and I'm for you. And so he says these things, brothers, and he goes on in verse 27, um, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, not, they didn't understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. He's, he's saying, listen, he's given a warning. Other Jewish people, specifically those in Jerusalem, they heard this stuff, they heard this good news, and they scoffed, they mocked, they turned away. He says, I don't want that for you. Jesus isn't just an interesting figure, which they were okay with, and we'll see that in a moment, if that's all he was. But no, Jesus is calling. He's calling you to trust in him. As we look ahead here to verse 38, he, it kind of summarizes the significance of this message, this gospel message, this good news, this real life application of Jesus. In verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers... That through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed, set free, and we'll get back there to that word, from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let me read that again. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him... Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In their context, this is everything that, that you would trust in to set you free. It's not going to work. Okay, we probably, I, I'm assuming, I know we have at least one here, but we probably don't have too many people that would identify culturally and, and coming from a religious background of being Jewish, perhaps some. But so you, we might hear like the law of Mo Moses and not, understand as much. That was so significant because the entire hope of relationship with God and, and set free in every way of life came back to their identity of, 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 of adhering to the law of Moses. And now Paul's saying, listen, I know that you've put your hope there. And God had a purpose and a plan in that but it all leads up to what you do with this Jesus who I'm talking about you right now. And through him and him alone can you be set free. That word free right there, some of you maybe even have a note in your, in like a, a little, um, a little foot footnote and you can go down there and see that, that where it's used right there in those, two, in those two places to be set free is to be justified, okay, to be acquitted, 
And some of us really get that. This is saying this. It's, they would acknowledge that. They would understand that you um, are standing before a holy and righteous God. And again, in this context, Jewish people would really understand that. Okay? They didn't have like superiority complex, like kind of true talk here, right? Real talk, most of us today. Right? We, kinda, we, we, we struggle to see our need to be reconciled to God because we say things like, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm, you know, I've never killed anyone. I've used that before. I literally hear that. Like, I don't know. I'm, I've never killed anyone. And like, as if God's like, congratulations on not murdering. Come on in. You know, that's my requirement. The bar's pretty low here. They, they understood a significant call of a holy and righteous God. That, that in, in thoughts, in words, in actions, in, in, in things we do, sins of commission, things we fail to do, that we're called to do, sins of omission, that we need to be reconciled to God, that we need to be acquitted and forgiven. And he's saying right here very plainly, through Jesus and Jesus alone can you be set free. And he also says, because I think we maybe get that a little bit, but there's so much more. That's part of the good news, part of the gospel of Jesus that he's calling people to trust in and to have faith in. But he also says, and everything that you could not be set free by the law of Moses. There's so much more that Jesus is calling us into this doctrine of justification, of forgiveness, of God, of, of Jesus saying, through faith in me, through the work on the cross and the victorious resurrection from the dead, I take your guilt and I give you my righteousness. That's the great exchange. And, and something that probably many of us, some of us do connect with this idea of the need to be acquitted and forgiven and we need to feel that weight. But also, is there not other stuff that we need to be set free from and set free into? There's, there's shame that apart from Jesus, we continue to be weighed down by and, and held captive by. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's judgment. There's comparison. There's, there's I got to outdo others unless they outdo me. And again, the promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus set free by being acquitted, by being forgiven, by being accepted, and now by being brought in and adopted as sons and daughters of Almighty God. There is a full picture of freedom that is found in Jesus. And Paul is emphatically calling all people here, specifically first Jews, and then, as we will see, also Gentiles who, who are kind of uh, like eavesdropping and are hearing and are also there, and they're responding, and they're saying, this sounds really good. I want to be set free. There's a song we sing, I am set free. We just sang amazing grace, right? Set free. I always forget the words, even amazing grace. Like every, but my five-year-old knows the words to amazing grace, and I forget them in this moment, but right, is there not a section there that talks about freedom? I know there is, because I was singing and I was engaged. I just can't recall it right now. That's how my mind works. I can remember what my third grade, you know, teacher said to me, in, but not that. Um, that's just how my mind works. It's a silly uh, place to be. But there's freedom, and it's, and it's fully informing every facet of life. And that's what Paul here is, is getting at. He's saying, free from judgment and free from bondage to sin. 
You, you don't have to give in to that which you don't want to do anymore. You have been set free. You don't have to be defined by what has been done to you or by what you've done. You, you, you don't have to be defined by, I joked about, you know, oh, I haven't killed anyone. Let me tell you, that's such a low view because here's the good news of Jesus. Even if you have, there is freedom in Jesus, there is forgiveness, there is acceptance, there, that no longer has to define you and bind you and keep you. And he is calling for faith in Jesus, and it's good news, amen? It, it is. There is a message of good news here, but let, let's also realize, and what we'll get into in this last section, there's also a clear watershed moment with Jesus, even this morning, he's re revealing himself to us through his word. And there is a faith and a trust, and there is a rejection. So there is indeed a division in Jesus, that though Jesus fulfills all the promises of God, Jesus sets free fully in every way, and Jesus also divides. So now we see that as we pick up here in verse 42, and we continue to see the stern warning now that comes with proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Picking up in verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They're like, tell me more. Tell me more of this, Jesus. I pray that that's true for some of us here this morning. Okay, you don't have to get it all. You don't have to like, whoa, you've already heard it once. Now what are you going to do, right? We don't know. God is revealing himself in all kinds of different ways. That's the joy of getting to share his good news. We don't know what God is doing, what, how he is revealing himself to you even now. And perhaps you're saying, leaning in, tell me more, tell me more. And, and that's what's happening here. And it's such an incredible picture of how God works in these mysterious and profound and amazing ways. And so they do. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, so that's people of Gentile as I'm talking about, they, um, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Word spread. Okay, there's exciting stuff. There's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's an incredible revival going on. But when the Jews saw the crowds, so first they're like, oh, this is cool. All right, tell us more. We're intrigued, right? We want to know more about this stuff. We're kind of historians. We're intrigued by this Jesus as long as he doesn't get too close, as long as he doesn't mess with what we've got going on. But he does. He always does. And so when they see the crowds that are formed, they begin to be upset. And they, uh, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they start to revile or even contradict. In verse 45, they contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are returning or we are turning to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us. And then it goes on. It says that down in verse 45, 48, the Gentiles heard this and they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Again, this whole section of Turkey, Galatia. So what we have here is, I need to pause here for a moment because again, we don't think in these, in these terms as much of like Jewish and Gentile relationships today. 
but it's so packed here in what we're reading. Because remember, right, what did Jesus say? He said, you will be my witnesses in where first? Where did he say? Jerusalem. And then in Judea, the area surrounding Jerusalem. And even in Samaria, Samaritans, though they hated them, were closer to Judaism, right? There was a relationship. They were like half-brothers and sisters, divided. They, they rejected them, but still, okay, so Jerusalem, all right, we got that. Samaria, all right, still not Jerusalem, but kind of close. Samaria, whoa, and even to the ends of the earth, even to Gentiles, even to people that in that current moment, Roman rule, persecuting them, so different. Everything their identity had been shaped by is going on here. And so now we see that continuing to unfold. And now we see the effects of these Gentiles, these non-religious folks getting brought into the fold. Okay, in our day, let's do some work and think about how that would work for us. I don't know what your definition is of a good, well-rounded Christian person. But my guess is there are certain people that don't fit into that fold that probably even includes not just faith in Jesus, but some other things. As I even mentioned, right, someone who's killed someone, someone who's committed what is our version of the worst crime imaginable. We all have different versions of that. And then for some of us, it gets even tighter, and you have to vote a certain way. You have to have certain bumper stickers on your car. You have to affiliate a certain way, and we kind of build this whole picture of, yeah, well, not them, okay? And, and so we think, oh, I want to raise my kids in church. I want to do this, and we have this whole version of this, and it all comes back to you, and Paul is blowing that up here, and no, listen, it all comes back to the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and there absolutely are implications on your life that he calls you into, and you need to hear those. You need to take those seriously, but for them, whatever your version is, whatever our version is of anyone but them, you know, I don't know. And, and what's kind of funny, too, if we're just honest with ourselves, is we're probably somebody else's version of them, right? We got to acknowledge that, right? Like we're over here and like, yeah, this, this makes sense to me. These, of course, Jesus would want to call these people. Of course, these people are Christians. This is what it means. Of course, not them. And then we start to see, whoa, even they are because I don't get it. I don't like how they vote. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they dress. I don't like this. I don't like that. I, I, I've even heard people talk about, you know, start to change when someone wears their hat backward. I'm coaching baseball, my son's baseball team, and even there, I've heard people be like, adamantly, don't turn your hat around backward. And the way it's like talked about is like implying, you know, if your hat's forward, then you're good, right? If it's backward, you're, you're not. You're not trustworthy. I don't know. And like silly stuff. Right, and it goes from there. And again, people wear their hat backward might be like, dude, don't trust someone who's got their hat forward, man. You can't trust them. They're dangerous. <laughs> you know, I don't know. We've got this whole weird thing here going on. But then when you start to see, oh, they're trusting Jesus and following him and his good news is now informing how they live their lives. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's what's going on on a way deeper, way more profound level here between Jewish and Gentile believers that the Jewish people would be thinking, no way. Gentiles? Them? No. And then as Paul says here, they, they start to live out the implications of what it means to put your trust in Jesus, and it has an effect on the Jewish people. 
In order to help this hit home a bit more, I wanna, we're going to watch a little brief video of someone who I really know and love and respect a great deal who's a Jewish person, grew up Jewish, who was bar mitzvahed, all these things, and he helps explain a bit of this dynamic and how, it, how God used different people in his own life to reveal his good news. So this is um, Neil Pitchell. Is, um, the, uh, he's the administrative or executive pastor over all of Redemption Church. And he's one of the elders at Redemption Gilbert. Again, he's one of my favorite guys. Um, I love him so much. I'm excited for us to get to hear him explain his story and help inform what's going on here of the dividing and also unifying work of Jesus. Let's, uh, let's hear this. Paul tells us that the reason that the Gentiles were to make the Jews jealous is maybe, just maybe, if they're jealous of what the Gentiles have, that they would turn back to God and receive the grace that he offers independent of the law. That means that we as Christians should be such light we should have such life, such joy, such love for God and for others that whenever we come in contact with a Jew, they'd say, how come we don't have what they have? How come they have joy in their hearts and love despite their circumstances? And we have to admit, the church has a pretty shameful history in making the Jews jealous. But that was Paul's intent. That was Paul telling us that God's intention was for the Gentiles to be such light that when Jews come in contact with them, they would be jealous of what they had. That's what happened to me. I was a Jewish kid growing up north of Boston forced to go to Hebrew school from fourth grade through seventh grade, five days a week, then bar mitzvah lessons, then I was bar mitzvah at the age of 13. The day after my bar mitzvah, I vowed to never set foot in a temple again. I felt, I felt so burdened by the law, by the rules and the regulations and, and the commandments and the, and the festivals and everything that was required of me, I said, no thank you. I don't want it. Leave me out. And I stayed out of it for years until I was a freshman at college at the University of Massachusetts. I was sitting in my dorm room one night and uh, these two guys walked into my room. Never seen them before. They were big guys, so I obviously paid attention to them. And they asked me if I believed in God. I said, yeah. Uh, I do. They said, do you believe you could have a personal relationship with God? And I said, no. That's not possible. All those rules, all those regulations. In fact, I can't even be in the presence of God without my head covered. I have to wear a yarmulke because God's so holy and I'm so messed up, we can't have a relationship. In fact, I can't even write the word God. I have to write G space D. You can't have a personal relationship with God. I said, we'd like to tell you how you can and I didn't feel like studying anymore, so I said, okay. Well, right at that moment, my roommate walked in uh, from Connecticut. He was from Connecticut, great guy. Uh, probably considered himself a nominal Christian. He didn't feel like studying either, so uh, he sat down and listened, and the guys pulled out this little orange pamphlet, 
and they started going through this thing called the four spiritual laws. Went right over my head. I didn't get a thing that they were saying. Didn't make any sense to me. My roommate did. My roommate got saved that night. I didn't know what was happening. It scared me. Um, so I did the only thing that made sense. I moved out. I moved in with uh, another friend. Uh, halfway through the semester that I was living with him, he got saved. Same guys. So I did the only thing that really made sense. I moved into a fraternity. Uh, and I knew I'd be, be safe there. And, and in fact, I was pretty much. But, but here's what happened. These guys, these two guys that walked into my room, my two ex-roommates and, and their friends were the kindest, most forgiving, most joyful people I'd ever met in my life. I was unreliable. They'd invite me to come to something. I'd say, sure, I'll be there. I wouldn't show. They forgave me. They invited me again. They, they were so different. They, they were so full of life and joy that eventually I said, okay, let me see this New Testament of yours. They said, okay, start with the, with the book of John. So I, I did, and that created a, a problem for me because it was really good. Um, and these guys continued to be involved in my life. Um, I continued to read the New Testament, but I was so troubled, so, so overwhelmed by my family that, that didn't believe that all of the Jews throughout history, how, how can this be true? So I got to a place because I was so impressed with those guys and I was so impressed with what, what was said here. I got to a place that um, I believed I was going to have a big four. See, Jews have a big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I decided I'll have a big four, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. I'll have it both ways. This will be fine. Well, all that did was lead to further frustration. There was, there was something nagging inside of me that, that this wasn't right. This went on for years. Graduated from college, and someone gave me the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And in the book, Lewis says, I want to talk to those of you who believe that Jesus is a great prophet, a great man. I thought, ooh, that's me. And he said, I think you have a problem. You have a problem because Jesus said he is God. And I knew that because I read that. And he said, if anyone says they're God, you only have three choices. He is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, who he says he is. <clears throat> now, I had seen the difference that God had made in the lives of these men. They were like nothing I had ever seen before. There was no way that these men who had committed their lives to Jesus committed their lives to a lunatic or to a liar. And I didn't understand it completely. I didn't know why Jews throughout history didn't believe. But because of the grace of God and because of the lives of these men, I prayed that God would open my eyes to see the truth of who he is. And because of God's grace and because of those men, I'm standing right here in front of you, a Jewish kid from Peabody, Massachusetts, preaching the gospel. God hasn't given up on the Jews. I love, <laughs> I'm standing right here, a Jewish kid from 
Peabody, Massachusetts. <laughs> I didn't know uh, what that is, but, or where that is. But, uh, you know, that's, I, I love that I wanted to expose you to Neil. I love him, humble, really incredibly impactful guy. But most clearly on display is the pursuing, relentless love of Jesus. And so what's happening here in Jesus dividing some would see, oh, he's forgotten the Jews, he's leaving out the Jews, and I love Neil's story, reminds us that very last sentence, no, God hasn't given up on the Jews. Okay, that's not what, what he's about doing here, but there is clearly a point where he is calling all people to come. As I said, the watershed moment where Jesus clearly says that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. Or as we read here back earlier in verses 38 and 39, that through Jesus and Jesus alone, there is a freedom, an acceptance of forgiveness, an identity that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And for all of us in here, if you have not yet believed in Jesus, I want to encourage you, I want to tell you, I want to implore you, continue to press in and also understand that there's not an option to stay in a, in a place of kind of tolerating Jesus or creating a big four, if you will. And I say that not arrogantly, not to shame you, but similarly, as Paul here says, brothers, sisters, I care about you too much than to, uh, than to not give you a, a, a harsh warning that Jesus divides. He also unifies. He doesn't say hat backward, hat forward, this, that, whatever else it is. He says, trust believe or reject grow in joy grow in 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 delight grow in hope or grow in bitterness and rejection grow in turning away and becoming more and more numb to the pursuit and the love of God most clearly displayed in the death and resurrection of Jesus or put your trust in him and grow in faith and in hope and in delight and in life. But all are brought to a place of responding to the person and work of Jesus. Jesus fulfills and he sets free and he divides and he calls. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that you are patient and you are good and you are also relentless. Thank you that you don't, you don't sugarcoat the truth and yet you display the truth in love and grace. That God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, undeserving he reveals his love by sending his son, Jesus, who died for us. And Lord, I pray that we would all respond appropriately this morning, however we need to respond. Lord, for perhaps the person here this morning who is a Christian, who would identify as a Christian, but has, is perhaps being, being lured into the place of thinking, ah, maybe I can have a big four, maybe I can kind of sprinkle some Jesus in, and maybe it doesn't really matter, Lord, that this would be a warning of growing in bitterness and frustration in hopelessness. Lord, for all of us, let us come to a place of, of seeing the fulfillment of your promises and the display of the freedom 
and the hope and the love and the acceptance and the identity that comes only through faith in Jesus, your Son. In His name we pray. Amen.